Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. It's episode 409 of The Sausage Factory. Well, in this episode I chat to Philip Back of Nine Games about the design and development of the arcade twin-stick shooter Bezier. Well, Bezier 2nd Edition, because we actually focused on the Nintendo Switch port. It was originally released on the PC, but then re-released again on the, the Switch in a much more enhanced form, no less, which is quite unusual, really, most... I'm not going to say that. Did I just say that? I was implying that the Switch isn't quite as powerful as a PC. Well, it is true. But in this instance, it's kind of... Anyway, it doesn't matter. Twisted shooters, I love them. A lot. In fact, I just watched the the uh, documentary on uh, Next Machina about uh, Housemark getting through the struggles of making and releasing, eventually releasing the game, only to, to no one buying it, which is a travesty, because it's a great game, but not here to talk about that. We are talking about Bezian, its design, and there's some very unique aspects to it. The boss monster that just chases you down and then runs off again. It's very funny. There's a bit of humour there, which is good. Humour's good. We need more humour in video games. We talk about that, as well as many other things. It's quite a long show, actually. Quite, you know, a bit bit chatty. There's not, not a problem with that. It's fine. It's great. And, you know, sometimes you get long episodes. That's fine. Bill wanted to hang about and have a good chit chat. So he did. And you're going to enjoy that very same chat. I'm sure you are. So, without further ado, let's listen to me from the relatively recent past talking to Philip about the creation of Bezier. Chris, take it away. Phil. Hello. Hello. Who are you and what do you do? Um, well, my name is Philip Back. I'm a 48-year-old dad of two, uh, and for most of my life, or as long as I can remember, I've been making video games, although back then we used to call them computer games. I'm not sure when the change happened. Um, 
And I have throughout my life worked for myself. I've worked for small companies and larger companies. I've made small games, large games, games that have never seen the light of day, uh, games I've been paid for and games I haven't. Really. Mm. So, uh, I've tried to leave the industry several times. I nearly did once, but it somehow keeps dragging me back and I can't escape. And I think I was around the age of 30 ish when i said okay well i'll just try i'll stop doing that escape business and yeah i don't really feel like i've chosen video games i think it chose me which sounds a bit depressing but it's not really i kind of enjoy it i like it <laughs> nowhere else would have me and i can't think of doing anything else now so so that's it i mean <laughs> probably <laughs> good. it's time as you realize that i keep on trying to it's just like that old meme of the you know like it, it, Try to, I try to leave it, then they always drag me back in. You know, it's just ah, the Godfather Three, Godfather Pacino, 3. yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. absolutely. Not no, it is a bit like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, but it's, it's it's good. It's a, it's. I remember, I remember an anecdote from somebody. I can't remember. It was a writer. I think it was Christopher Hitchings, and he always used to give advice to other writers, and he would say, if you can if you can imagine yourself doing something else, having a happy life doing something else, then go do that. <laughs> Don't be a writer. <laughs> and it sounds vicious and mean, but it's actually, it makes a lot of sense because if you can, in, you know, it, you do have to sometimes feel that it picked you and that you can't, you know, there is no escape really because it is quite a hard, you know, any creative field. I think I'm sure they're all the same music, film, you know, writing. It's, it's, there's a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of putting your heart on the page and, and a lot of times when you show that to somebody, it is the anxiety is crippling really, but you've got no choice because the alternative is to just, you know, not show them <laughs> and, and nothing ever see the light of day. So, so yeah, no, it's, uh, no, it's a, it's a good life. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. I do admire developers when they go to shows like, you know, EGX or PAX or something like that. And they're standing there, their booth with their, demo unit and you just rock up and go oh this looks interesting and you go and play it and and when you say positive things to them and so oh, this is really fun like way you've done this and then, and they really like just like oh god thank god it's not terrible <laughs> just like no, no it really great. does it, it does really feel like you you're leaving your children on the first day of school yeah and, and it's like please be okay please be okay please <laughs> the don't whole crash. your whole sort of heart and soul and everything you've worked for and everything you want in life yeah. and off it goes and yeah that's like okay. claws and all <laughs> yeah I've, I've said to developers when i was like playing puzzle games like demoing puzzle games and i'm always thinking because i was like you know sitting there going uh, trying to, I get stuck on a bit and think, oh God, I'm an idiot. And like, they probably think I'm an idiot. And then they're going, no, we don't think you're an idiot, Chris. We realise that that puzzle's too difficult. <laughs> it yeah. just doesn't work. So yeah, it's it's really quite funny, funny how that happens. But um, okay, well, you, you already sort of hinted at uh, the next question, which is not an answer to the next question. But uh, let's just delve a little bit of detail now. Is how did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games, or indeed computer games, as you mentioned? Because yeah, no one calls it that anymore. Don't know why. Well, yes. <laughs> um, so I mean, this would be 1980, 1981. Right. And my father was a coal miner, and he hurt his finger in an accident, and he got some compensation for it. I think he got five hundred pounds, which in 1981 was a lot of money. Yes. Um, and my mum said to him, well, it's your finger, so it's your money. You do what you want with it. 
And so my dad went out and he bought an Acorn Atom, which was a computer back then, 2.5K. He set it up in front of the TV and it was the most exciting thing any of us had seen. There was just three of us in the family then. It was just me, my mum and dad. I was about five. Um, And and back then, um, you had to buy your games in magazines and they were source code listings and you would type them all in and then you could run them and play them. And that's how you played a game. You had to make the game first. And of course, the first few of these that you did, you just brainlessly typed in the listing and you kind of knew what you know, roughly maybe what it was doing. I don't know. There's something called print and go to and input and go sub. And I'm trying to remember basic functions now that I've forgot. <laughs> but um, <laughs> anyway, um, so then you'd run it uh, and then you'd play it because you couldn't load in a game. There was no uh, tapes back then, really. I mean, there were, but they were very, very expensive. And I don't think we had what we didn't have one for a long time. Um, anyway, so... And then when you wanted to play your favorite game, you found out that you typed in something wrong on a magazine listing. And then you had to, and then all of a sudden the game became trying to fix the game you're trying to play. Mm. And you ended up debugging it and you realized, oh, hang on, I've done that wrong. And then you did that. And anyway, as time went on, um, um, my dad, um, I I must try and remember to tell my story, not his, but my dad realized that you could, he could write better games than these magazine listings so he would do it himself um, and thus him and thousands and of others the bedroom coder Coders, yeah all of a sudden that generation was born mm. and he um he did this and he sold magazine listings until around 1984 and in the uk uh you may or may not remember there was a big minor strike um in the mid 80s and he um, got his first royalty check from selling a game, um, selling two games actually. Um, that the week the miners' strike kicked off, and I distinctively remember the meeting because I was about nine years old. But my mum would come back from the shops, and my dad was sat on the sofa. And I remember, I don't remember it at the time. I just remember it being really important about something. And my, uh, I've learned the story since my mum told me that that my dad said look at that and there were two royalty checks on the table and it was basically something like seven years of pay from you know equivalent from the pit and and my dad was like i don't know what to do what shall i do and my mum was like well i guess give up your job and do this whatever this may be because nobody really knew what this was <laughs> it was it was just you know writing silly little games and selling yeah. them uh and so he said okay and uh, anyway so the first week of the miners strike he he handed in his notice, and um, yeah, and uh, we we avoided all that awful tr- trouble and strife. Although I mean, it was in the community we lived in a in a mining village in the Midlands, and uh, so anyway, he started doing that. Um, so I grew up in a house where um, these computer games were being made, and what that usually entailed was. I would hang around nearby and we had lots of computers in the house because he wrote for lots of different platforms and I would get to use the computers that he wasn't using and I'd get to test the games he was playing and he liked kids testing games because the kids are fantastic at breaking them as I found out with mine. Um, (laughs) And, um, and so I kind of, it was a, 
I really enjoyed growing up in the house like that because I wasn't a very much of a footballer, football fan, or football culture. I could never really get into it because I, I don't know. I never really found the, and so the whole sort of rise of the whiz kid in the eighties, and and I, you know, I had a sanctuary to go to, to run to, uh, growing up. Well, you know, I wasn't the coolest kid in the class. I never was, never will be. But um, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't the least coolest as well because I had these sort of computer things and it was all new and exciting. And there was that golden period between 85 and about 91 where we would sort of, where the arcades were the sort of the spearhead of all technical innovation. And, and there was great stuff happening on home computers as well. But really, you know, your 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 weekly, if you were lucky, trip to the arcades was was like uh, it was like going on holiday, really. And sometimes when you went to a British seaside town, there were these huge arcades, which was fantastic and stuff. And some of the arcade titles that were um, that were coming out then, it was just like wow. You know, I often say um, with computer games, like I'm always my sort of milestones in my head through my life of when I've stood but stood back and gone, wow, a computer can do that. And um, I was trying to think of the last one, and it's debatable because the last 15 years is strange, but I do remember certain ones in my life really strongly, things like when uh, I first saw Doom at university, the first Doom, and it was just like, wow, a computer can do that. Mm. And I remember the first time I played World of Warcraft, Mm. um, and I wandered into a city. Uh, I think it was Ironforge. I was a dwarf, and, um, and it was just like, good grief, all these people are running around. And I knew multiplayer, you know, I, I, yeah, I was a yeah. Quake player and, and all that and stuff. But but to see that level of people and just you could wander around, it was just like, wow, a computer could do that. Mm. Anyway, between between 85 and, and 91, it felt like it was every few months. Every few months it was just like, wow, a computer, <laughs> a computer can do that. Uh, and I don't know if it's just because I'm getting old or what, but it just feels like those moments are getting further and further in between the next one. And I'm, I keep looking at my own children, wondering if they're, you know, if they're getting it every few months. And I I'm not sure if they are or not. It's one of those strange things because you don't know if it's just your age or, you know, because you obviously look back with rose-tinted spectacles or nostalgia and all that and stuff. So, but I was, so I was, I learned how to code and basic uh, on the 64 6502 i i never really i don't know if i ever i'd never released any games but i i, I was programming 68000 and i had many moments where i was like i was quite disheartened because i would do something really cool something on these platforms um especially on the c64 which i was one of my i really stuck with that and um and I, whenever I did anything, all my friends, I would say to my friends, look at this, look at this. The side borders have gone. The top borders have gone. There's color bars. There's, you know, listen, listen to this sound being played. And they would always just look at it and go and grunt and just say, that's your dad. Your dad did that. You didn't do that. And sometimes they were right. But even when they weren't right, even when they weren't right, it was just like, well, what's the point in doing any of this? Because I'm not, and that's when I sort of, maybe I got into sort of the music side of it. And I kind of then thought, right, I'm going to be, I'm going to do, I'm going to be a musician, a composer. Cause I was, um, there was a big, a big scene at the time around uh, computer game musicians, especially on the Commodore 64. Mm. I mean, I can list more computer game composers back then than I can that working in games right now which is mm. absurd really yeah. i mean they would they were hailed as heroes and there's still a thriving sort of remix scene around them uh, which is you know celebrating these little music 
cool tunes but it was really it really did feel special at the time um you know you would buy a game just because you know this guy has done the music for it uh, it really meant a lot um so anyway so i kind of batted back and forth between music and and coding and when i as i got older into my teenage years i actually found that i was sort of doing the two especially on the amiga and my dad let me do more and more things on his games. So it'd be like, do a little bit of this, do a little bit of that. Uh, level design, things he didn't want to do, basically. Um, uh, but he taught me 68,000 um, and things like that. And then I never really thought much of it. Um, I worked on some of his games. Um, I'm thinking as a, as a teenager, um, he did a series called James Pond. I don't know if you heard of that. It was yes. on, the mega, on the Mega Drive, uh, yeah. that was. So, well, it was actually, well, sorry, I mean, he was more, he was most known for doing some technical stuff on the Atari ST. There was a smooth scrolling game called Gold Runner. And up until then, um, smooth scrolling on the ST was a bit of a, mm. um, a bit of a challenge. And he did it. Uh, and, and then I remember at a computer show when we were there and he, um, he, uh, he overheard two people looking at the game and saying, oh, yes, Vertical scrolling, I've been told that's quite easy, but horizontal scrolling is impossible. And I saw the light in his eyes, and we didn't say anything to these guys. I was about 13. I don't know what age my dad was, about 35. And But then we went home, and he spent three months writing a hor- smooth horizontal scroller for a game that he, was this going to be his next one called Return to Genesis, just to show the people that that could be done. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if he was the first one to do that. I think... About a few weeks before it was released, he saw a demo because um, we loved the demo scene in our house because demos are great. And I, I loved them because of the music and stuff. Uh, and I think there was, if there was a smooth scroller which came out a few weeks before the game did. And so he never really shouted about that, even though I'm pretty sure because he'd been working on this game for three months <laughs> um, that he was the first. And this was all pre-internet because so nobody really, you know, the community was not. You know, you had to be clever and actually know things to do things. You just couldn't search them up. You know, it wasn't Google was not around. Um, so anyway, um, so I worked on the James Pond series like level design, and I remember the, the the summer before I went to university, they were doing James Pond three, and they didn't have enough dev kits, so I had to work nights. And it was in this, it was in uh, a little village called Belper, and it was in the mill in Belper, and they didn't have. There was nobody else in the building. They, they were, my dad's company was just this one little office in the middle floor. And I remember it felt like, and I was the only person working nights for about eight weeks through this hot summer. I couldn't sleep in the day. And I remember th- it felt like being in the Overlook Hotel in The Shining. It really <laughs> did. Because after a few weeks of it, it was really sort of, uh, I mean, the eeriness kind of was then comfortable. And anyway, and I did, I think I did like, yeah after about eight or nine weeks of it i had to say to him look i can't do this anymore anyway but i ended up doing a lot of the levels for james pond three before i went to university and i turned up at university in freshers week absolutely shattered and i think all my housemates were like wow he must have been really caning it and and i wasn't drunk no. or long over i was just shattered because i'd been working on damn video games but um anyway so so then i left university and i thought well like most people who left university with a pure maths degree, I had right. no idea what I wanted to do or what I was even capable of doing. Um, I'd forgotten all about games and things like that. Uh, the PlayStation one had just come out mm. and that was an exciting thing. We rented one from, was it blockbuster? Yeah. I, I blockbuster used to rent them out. I mean, you tell yeah. people that and they go, you're lying. No, 
No, yeah. they totally did. They totally did. Yeah, that. And I think we had two or three games. It was there was Wipeout, Ridge Racer, and I don't remember the third. But, Probably Tomb Raider. But it co- <laughs> cost a fortune. Yeah. Um, anyway, so um, but I left university, and I, I like a lot of people leaving university. I, I didn't I didn't know what I was doing. I applied for every job going because I was just terrified of the outside world, and um, Sony in Liverpool um, uh, got in touch and said, oh. You're into, you know, you've got this great, great um, sort of experience of video games. And I'm like, have I? Do you, would you like to come and work in QA in Liverpool and test PlayStation 1 games? Uh, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so just, I was just glad that somebody had, you know, wanted to, to, to give me a job. Uh, and I did that. And the, the first week I did that, I realized, I thought, I'm not cut out for QA. A QA, there, there's in the video games industry, QA is there's a certain metal to them there's a certain strength and not being strong in the slightest i am not (laughs) built for that um and so i spent um about six months um i spent about six months i would work in the qa in the day and then in the evenings i would go home and i bought a book on c and c plus plus because i heard that's what they do these days they use that um and like anything programming, it's all, I mean, I don't, I, I'm wonderfully dismissive about all coding and programming because for me, it's it's like going back to those early days in the 80s. I mean, mm. you turned the machine on and the, your cursor was flashing and that was that was your game yeah, to start programming, it. right? Yeah, that was, yeah. and, and everybody, anybody who saw a computer in a shop, right? They all typed 10, print, Chris is great. 20 yeah. go to 10 go right to 10. that's i i've always said that's the original video game yeah <laughs> and and there's a there's an element to it that's in every video game and i always say look video games is just 10 print fill is ace 20 go to 10 and the rest is just filler really be honest with you it's just i mean the game i wrote bezier it's got sixty thousand lines of code i mean it's it's all just filler it's just it's just 10 print fill is great 20 <laughs> go to 10 and that is it I mean, there's a few input readings and things yeah, apparently like that. yeah there's some interaction yeah, yeah. involved but a bit, you know a bit, a bit more flashy but generally yeah, yeah. so so anyway so i learned c and c plus plus because i'm and I did. I think I did a little Asteroids game. This mm. is this is sounding really weird, isn't it? Yeah, I did a little Asteroids game, and I and I really wanted to because I'd left university, and I, I I'm not sure if this is a, a universal experience, but when you leave university and you've had the time of your life at university, you just really want to go back. And I had lots and lots of friends who were still in earlier years or who'd got jobs around Sheffield. I was in uh, this was in Sheffield. I went to university, and uh, so I applied for uh, a company called gremlin graphics who mm. were in you know, who were who i knew a lot of their games um from past uh, but they were based in sheffield and they weren't advertising any jobs or anything like that i just wrote to them i just wrote to the development director at gremlin and i kind of got their address um and uh yeah i said look i know you're not hiring anybody right now but could i have a job please <laughs> and this uh, a guy called Tim Heaton, the development director. I, I don't know he works for anymore. He, he, he's still in games, I think. He, yeah. Anyway, whatever. Um, Name rings a bell. Yeah. Yeah. He he wrote back to me and said, "Oh yeah, we've um, we, yeah we're 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 not hiring right now, but if you want to come in and have a chat, we'll uh, we'll see what's what." And mm. so I was like, "Blimey, there's a way I can get back to Sheffield." Uh, so I went I went I went and had a chat with him, and it was lovely. I showed him my little game, and he said, "This looks great." and stuff he says I, I don't know if there's a place on a team for you here there were about 200 people back then they were a big company mm-hmm. um 
but uh, you know, let me let me have a think. And then he got back a week later, and then uh, you know, and then a week after that, I got offered a job, and I, I went back to Sheffield, which was just so good. I was so happy to get back there, but mostly because of all my friends were back there, and I never really right. settled into Liverpool very much, and um, and and things like that. So I said goodbye to Sony and PlayStation. Um, testing PlayStation One games, it was it was, it was really good fun. Uh, mm. Hard, hard. Uh, I, I found this, it was wonderful because it was like it was in Liverpool, and it, the, the company was kind of split into two. We were it was half local lads uh, from Liverpool and half sort of nervous graduates like me. And mm. the two the two mixture of the two was fantastic. Like when a game like Parappa the Rapper came in oh, wow. and stuff, and the whole the office was singing the songs and staying late and, and, and things like that. It was just, and you got to see these things early as well. Of and course, stuff like that. Yeah, was, yeah. Uh, uh, the first game I played, the first game I worked on, I think was final fantasy seven. Yeah. And, um, I had no other job other than just to play it through and just check the translations were saying the right things. Yeah. <laughs> so if there was anything still in Japanese or anything like that, I had to sort of flag it up and yeah, yeah, I was, uh, it was, uh, it was a good job, but I kind of wanted to. Uh, yeah, you're like right. Was... QA is is you've got to be extremely methodical and ferocious and stand it's your tough. ground. It's really, yeah, people don't. But but uh, one thing, but one yeah. thing I really appreciated was that mm. doing that sort of um, ten months in QA, it made me appreciate where they come from. Whenever I've. Um, to this day, whenever I've had dealings with QA, I always kind of know, well, you're thinking like that. And so I will be, you know, much more. It's, it's helped the connection, so to speak. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. You kind of know where they're coming from. They're not trying to be difficult. They're trying to be, especially when it comes to things like TRCs, uh, which are technical requirement checks that every console every console company has they have a series of checks and if you put your game on their console you have to pass these checks and it's, it's a notorious thing in the games industry that you know the dreaded trcs because people are really they're really picky about this and they're really picky about that well having sat doing them for playstation i can you know i understood why you know what the guy's you know what the dude's brain was on the other side what was thinking and so it's mm. it's always helped i think so anyway i did two years in gremlin i did um i then so i'm mixing up personal life here because when i went back i i also got together with my best friend who was my best friend at university and we were great friends at university but we became boyfriend and girlfriend when i went back to sheffield and then so she was from the south and she was doing her PhD, and I, and I had this strong feeling that she wanted to move south after her PhD. So I sort of jumped the gun and then moved to a company down south, writing PC games, a startup company with some friends who were who I worked with at Gremlin. And so I was this Midlander who had lived in the north at university, and then I was going down south. Um, so um, yes, and that was in Milton Keynes. I did two years there, and then mm -hmm. I did a year in Argonaut. Um, I don't know if you know Argonaut, Jez Sands company, who mm. they did Starglider. Oh, yeah. And yeah. yeah, Starglider was his first game. He was mm. now. <laughs> this is, I'm, I'm just sorry, I'm jumping all over time here. That's all right. So yeah. if, you, if you go back to 19, about 86, I think, when Starglider came out, I remember my dad, my mum hated the computer shows. So my dad would always take me because, hey, I'm into computer. Yeah. You know, I used to like it. And, and I remember him meeting this little, um, this 
this little bloke in a hotel room and this little bloke was 18 and he said, oh, I've written this game and, and Steve Back, you're my hero on the Atari ST. Will you have a look at it? And my dad's like, yeah, sure, whatever. And the game was Star Glider and the guy was wow. Jess San. And uh, I just remember the, they had sample music, only about six bars of it or something yeah, like that. And yeah. blew, blew me and my dad away and it was yeah. just like wow, what the hell is this? There goes all that memory. But yeah, it was amazing, <laughs> yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, Yeah, yeah. And I remember my dad, uh, I remember some years later, my dad said to me, oh, what was it he said? He said, I'm, I said, I think I said to him, are you the best games program in the world? And he said, no. I said, He said, I'm the third best games program in the world. And I said, who's the first? And he said, it's Jez San. And uh, the second was Jeff Crammond as well, right. who did The Sentinel, which my yes. dad ported to the ST and the Amiga. My dad oh, said yeah. no to my dad said no to all ST ports and Amiga ports. He got offered a lot of them. Uh, but he, he that was the one he did do, the Sentinel, because he wanted to meet Jeff Crammond and he mm. also wanted to work with that 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 game, which yeah. was I yeah. mean it's a it's still ahead of its time. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, so yeah, so so then I I was in the games industry till about two thousand and four I got married. Two thousand and five I thought I really need to get out of this because I can't, it's, it's a really hard industry. Uh, that was around the time the EA spouse thing came about and, oh, yeah. Yeah. and um, it really hit home. And, and the thing is I worked for pretty good companies actually with regards to crunch and, and overtime, we were pretty good. Uh, we only did it when we really needed to do it and we did pull together and it, mm. they, it didn't have that toxic feel that you read about in a lot of companies yeah. where it was, it was awful. That said, I just got married. I thought, right, okay, let's get out of games. And I did business programming for a while. Um, and and then this strange thing happened around 2007 or eight, where my wife said, "What are you doing?" And I said, "What do you mean? What am I doing?" And he said, "She said on a you know on a Saturday night, you you open a bottle of red wine and start opening Visual Studio and programming graphics things and and stuff." And I'm like, "Oh yeah, okay." And I thought I realized that it, I get my attempt to try and leave the games industry was uh, futile and I kind of um, started doing it myself uh, and then sort of working freelance for a few friends doing bits and writing my own stuff that's when this hobbyist project of my own I mean I'd I'd, I'd been in the games industry for like 30 years and but this was the first thing that I could start to say actually this is mine um and it maybe still only is the only thing that's mine. Um, and I put it out in 2016 on the PC. Mm -hmm. And then I forgot about it for a few years. And then in 2019, I um, a publishing company called Thalamus, a guy yes. called Andy. Andy Roberts from Thalamus. Now, anybody who grew up on the 8-bit knows Thalamus. Mm. Thalamus was like, I'm trying to think of the world's coolest record company. But that's what they were like. They yeah. were, they, they, it was like a Thalamus game Sub came. And it, kind of like, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, so Andy said, would you like to put Bezier on the Switch under Thalamus's name? I'll get you a dev kit. You know, would you like to? And I said, no, go away. I'm done with it. And he said, okay. Week later, he came back. He said, "Have you had a think? Would you like to put Thalamus?" <laughs> and I said, "No." no. <laughs> and they may have been swear words at this point. I said, "No, just go away. I'm not. I'm not doing it." I'm done. And then he came back again, and and I don't know what he was doing, but he was working. And and he said to me, "Do you want to do it again?" I said, "Look," I said, "I'm about to go 
to Turkey on holiday with my family for a week. Ask me when I come back and I'll have a think about it next to the pool. And anyway, so I thought about it and I spoke to my wife about it and she said, look, it's how can you say no to this? You know, and then the more I thought about it and I really, really love the switch. Mm. I, I, the, the get, get in the switch and, and playing Zelda. I mean, at, at the time oh. it was probably my favorite game of all time. Yeah. It was, it was just done so well. Everything was beautiful. It was our hope an open world game could be, you know, it wasn't boring. There wasn't clutter everywhere. Everything just felt like it was drawing to a center. It was just, it was coherent, you know, mm. anyway. So, and I thought, well, hang on a second, maybe, wow, you know, I'm going to go, can, am I up to going into Mario's house and, <laughs> and, and calling those same API calls and going for, and I came, he came back and I said, look, I'll do it. Yeah, sure. And then, so, and then 2020 came along Oh yeah. and, uh, and then all of a sudden, yeah. And so, but, but we got it, I got it out. Uh, mm. I got it out. I did it all myself still. So now I've just realized you've asked me, how did I start making video games? And, you gave me and I've just gone through, I've, I've just gone through 40 years for you. So yeah, that's how I started. I swear, no, really, <laughs> you could, we've had an extraordinary answers to that question. And Phil, oh, I've right. been absolutely enraptured by that. So <laughs> thank you. And I'm sure the Sorry. listeners as well. So thank you so much for that. So, yeah, I don't know what comes in the next 40 years, but that was the last 40 years. No, so that's how I started. Yeah, well done. <laughs> so, Basically, the, you know, de- debugging. I always, I always say that debugging was like of those old type-ins from like, I remember having Sinclair programs, the magazine as a kid as well, and typing those into my ZX81 and a latter spectrum. And I found mm. myself, I said, um, changing those programs, I'd always change the icons or I'd mess with the graphics or I'd change the lives. I'd just mess with it. It's like the early form of modding. <laughs> Absolutely. No, absolutely. It was was developing. It was like, it was the game became making the game work because you've broken it. Yeah. Yeah. Or like you said, the game becomes making the game better. And then there were the things like the expert cartridges on the, uh, the, you know, the cartridges you put in the back of your 64 where you could actually freeze memory and then you could look around memory and hang on, there's the sprites. There's the character set. Oh my yeah, lord! Yeah. I, what you saying? I can take the sprites from this game and pull them out and just use them and put them on the screen. And it was such an amazing time. And it's, um, I mean, I, I do think the future is very bright, but I do miss that turning a computer on and then just seeing the flashing cursor there and just you know, yeah, know. it's your invitation to start. You know, yeah. it's like. It's it. Nobody ever asked how to. How do I get into video games back in 1987? Because they knew how you got back got into video games. You would go into Boots, go up to a computer, write <laughs> ten print Chris's A's, twenty go to ten. I'm I'm shipping. I'm I, shipping a video game. Yeah, I do remember that. Got to the point where I was like, not only doing that, but making a borders flash and a paper flash go. as well, and just like, what are you doing? I'm just fleshing it out. Making it more You're interesting. Sequels. You're shipping sequels. There. You're, this is a franchise now. This is a you know. This is IP. Yeah. No. Oh, it's um, yeah. So and yeah, I'm going to move on because it's fantastic. But we need to find out, Phil. What okay. are your biggest influences as a creator? Right. Now this is a question, isn't it? Okay. It is, so yeah, and it's not to be confused with just what do you like because no. what. We, we like lots of things that don't actually influence us, but yeah. what does influence us? And I think if there's one, one thing that influenced me throughout my entire life with the work is, is pop culture. 
Now, pop culture comes in different forms because we have, well, we have a pop song, a three-minute sort of fickle, I love you, you love me, but also can be profound as well in in, in a strange way, as we know pop songs can be. Mm. But also pop culture in maybe literature and film and and I'd want, I've always had a love of film music. Um, I remember the first album my mum ever bought me on vinyl was John Williams' Star Wars. And I remember she said, you played it all the time. I was thinking I was about four years old and it was on vinyl. And I used to play it through the headphones too, way too loud. And she said, all we could hear was Star Wars music. And I was, and I've ever, all, ever since then, um, I've had a huge love of film music to the point where I will go see a film if there's a certain composer doing, you know, and also film music, it ties in as, as time marched on, you had this sort of technology with film music as well. Um, not that I knew it at the time, but films like uh, what Wendy Carlos did with The Shining and Clockwork Orange and synthesizers moving on to, well, the, the, the big one is the mid mid eighties with Hans Zimmer and Rain Man. And then Hans Zimmer all of a sudden, became sort of the Hollywood legend and titan that he is. And you sort of follow those scores through and how he uses technology and that, you know, people like me who never went to the conservatory and learned how to write for orchestra, all of a sudden, because I've got an Atari ST and a synth and a MIDI cable, I can make it make some noise Mm. and things like that. I remember for my dad's game, my dad did a a version of Karate Kid 2, you know, the film. Mm. He did that on the ST. And one of my jobs was having to put the MIDI notes in to play Peter Cetera's The Glory of Love, which was the theme from the Karate Kid 2. And uh, I never remember, you know, I never stopped being amazed by um, the, the power of this. And then the Cubase, which was a, uh, a, a, a music software for the ST, which I still use to this very day now. And it's amazing, you know, what, what one computer can do with, with sound these days. Um, so anyway, so yeah, film music. But... Um, also, films in general, I, I've, I've always loved, I mean, we all love films, right? But there's, there's certain films, maybe the films of directors like Terry Malick, uh, who is most people's least favourite director. They bores them senseless, but for his films, his films to me are, um, if I'm in the mood, you know, if, it is like tuning into heaven, really. If you, you sit there and it's just, I am soaking up pure transcendence here uh, this is uh, you know my my wife she thinks it's all boring uh, most people think it's all boring um, but but for me uh, Terry Malick's films are you know um, hugely influential um, and what else uh, musical theatre I grew up with a lot of musical theatre and this might be pop culture coming in uh, not the childhood musicals like Mary Poppins so much but the ones like Tommy the the Who rock opera or again another rock opera Jesus Christ Superstar you know Lloyd Webber and things like that Uh, and then the musicals growing up as well yeah and now we are we joke that we're a bit of a musical family so obviously Lin-Manuel Miranda and you know Hamilton and and all his Disney stuff all you know I'd love one day to write a musical video game and I've tried to I've wrote songs but it's it's hard to get that interactive element to it it's uh, it, video games is a really tricky thing because our craft 
our craft is new and fresh and, and we're trying to latch on to other crafts, the most famous one, maybe movies. And we're trying to say, well, let's just make them like they make movies. And you can always tell a lot of video games are just really wanting to be a movie sometimes. And, and actually, I think a lot of the language in those crafts gets broken when as soon as you add interaction because the player messes everything up right uh, the player is like a toddler in the middle of your well-crafted movie just kicking over a lamp and, and 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 things like that you can't as soon as you give the player the say the control of the camera well that's that's 90 percent of cinematic language gone what we, what are you going to try and do you can't make a move stop trying to fudge a movie into a no. video game it's it's, it's it's now that's not to say you can't look at how they organize projects you know huge 400 500 people projects and not take a lot of things from that uh, i'm sure you can but uh, i do think uh, but I'm, I'm sure these are just teething problems uh you know like i said we're a new craft and we're starting out i think in two three hundred years time we'll have it all sorted and we'll know where <laughs> We'll know where we're going at least. So, but yeah, so uh, another big influence, I think, was the, like I said, that golden age, 1985, 1991, that era of arcade games where I would go and visit an arcade. And I think I, multiplayer gaming has obviously changed the world. Um, but there's something missing when, back when you used to play arcade games and you'd go in an arcade and you'd start playing something. And you started getting further into it, and there'd be like a little crowd gather around you, and they weren't your friends. They weren't these awful people you see online who swear at you <laughs> when you play games these days. No, uh, they were. They were. But but at the same time, they were not random people either, because if you visited the arcade each week, you kind of vaguely knew them, mm. and so you, they were. There was something in between, and I've never been able to pinpoint. The words I've never been able to find the words to say what these people were, but it was like the earliest level of multiplayer gaming that I found, and it was so uh, I want to say the word sincere or sweet or something, but that might be over egging it a bit. But 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 when multiplayer games came along and arcades sort of died out a little bit, I, it, it never felt like that had replaced. Now I'm aware that I might be just looking back on my teenage years and and thinking, you know, I um, but uh, yeah, so so. So yes, uh, pop culture, uh, pop film music, culture, uh, yeah. films, uh, musical theatre, the arcade thing is nice. I do like a lot of writers as well, um, writers like David Mamet, his plays, uh, but I've liked his films more actually. Mm. Now he's one of these he's one of these old writers who a little bit like I don't know if you know of a writer called John Milius, who did um, he wrote Conan. Did he write? He directed the Conan the Barbarian, or did, no, no, he wrote Conan the Barbarian. Um, and he wrote a lot of films in the early 80s. And a little bit like David Mamet, he's a bit, you know, um, it's fine as long as you enjoy their works. But it's one of those art and artist thing where if you, okay. you know, it, <laughs> you know, it can be described as problematic. Ah, and then all of a sudden yeah. it's just like, oh, good grief. Why, why am I, I shouldn't watch interviews of people I admire and stuff. Especially, no. as, the, especially as the world's tumbling towards civil war and, and all that, you know, annihilation and stuff. Yeah. So, but, but I... I you know, is uh, David Mamet's plays uh, Glengarry Glen Ross? Uh, it was a classic, oh, um, yeah. and things yeah. like that. Really, sort of, he's uh, such a strong writer, and he knows exactly what he's going for. And he's got a wonderful sort of, um, again, uh, what's saying about Zelda, a coherence to it. it yeah. It, 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 it. Don't waffle. Don't, don't 
don't want meander off here, meander off there. Don't do, don't be cool for cool sake. Just you're going from A to B, and that's the the drama, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so anyway, so so yeah, there, there, there's a, I guess those are my biggest influences. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, really, it's very broad. As say broad, that's not true. You you focused on certain aspects, and it's it's fine to say that you're drawing from these things, whether you like it or not, and you're right to say that. Um, so, fourth question then. What video game developer you admire most and why? Can I cheat? Can I have two? Yeah, you can have two. <laughs> it's never, never, okay. This question is never answered with just one. In all the years yeah, I've been okay. doing this, it's always okay. been multiple. Well, I mean, I guess it's one, it's, it's two, but it's kind of for the same reason. Uh, uh, number one's got to be Jeff Minter. Right. Jeff yes. Minter has stayed so true to what he has believed, um, he has, I find it heartbreaking that he's never, he would not fit in, in, in most computer, in every video game developer. <laughs> he couldn't sit at a desk under a fluorescent light. And, and uh, although that's dying out anyway, these days, but you know, he, he, he he's so true to the original he's he's such a storyteller i'm struggling to find the words here but i you know he lives on his farm and you know the naive person says he's well actually the naive and the intelligent person says he's made the same game over and over again but it's amazing how he does it and it's amazing how he tells stories through his systems and he doesn't tell a story through bring in different things from different crafts. Like I was saying about language, you know, cinematic language or musical language or writing language, you know, he's Mm. not tried to tell the linear story, but his stories shine as soon as you pick up a controller because you feel them, you feel them in your fingers as you're moving something around. And he's, I've, I've only met him a few times when I was young at computer shows. the, the sheep on the stand and things like that amazing guy um but i i get the feeling that he really 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 the feel of something matters mm. i mean he's got um one of those i i remember getting into a conversation with him on twitter about mechanical keyboards because i just got into mechanical keyboards this right. was about two years ago uh and you know i've never looked back and my bank balance hates me for it but um and i asked him what keyboard he had and he said uh, uh the ibm cherry you know the famous switch yeah uh and it was just like of course you do which is i think <laughs> it's like it's a bit like but what i'm saying is it's like the um it's like the guitarist equivalent of you know the stratocaster mm. or something you know it's yeah. an instrument and it's what we play and this is what game developers and programmers particularly you know we have it, it does feel like you're playing an instrument yeah. you know i have um uh, like i say i have my sort of piano next to my keyboard and it's always turned on so whenever i'm in a slow compile or i'm just thinking about something my fingers will go between the two Mm. between keyboard and um text keyboard (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and i think of them as the same thing they Mm. are they are instruments and and i think that's something that might be gets lost a bit when people especially think about programmers they think of us as technical people when really I'm always. I've always been surprised looking throughout life how many video games programmers are also into synths and music and and stuff like that. It, it just seems way too many to be a kind of coincidence, if you know what I mean. And well, it's always more video games programmers than yeah. say artists or designers I've met. I, 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 
there it, was a corollary between the love of maths, which you studied it to a degree, uh, well, the degree level, bachelor degree level. No, it's not about numbers. It's about patterns, typically. Mm. It's about patterns and the love of music creation, music theory, uh, that really does appeal to a lot of mathematicians, certainly ones I know. Uh, and um, uh, it, I'm not surprised. You're right. I'm not surprised by this this mixture of the two. The love of the that it, it can be quite impenetrable to to most. But once you get it and you realise that these are actually exquisite patterns, and when they really flow into it, it's just it's uh, it. Yeah, there's a there's a crossover between the two. It's probably yeah. a, a subject for another podcast, really. But uh, <laughs> you said you so, had two. You had you had two. I do. Yeah. Uh, well, and I, it's like I always like Jeff because he's always yeah, stayed yeah. true to his to his feelings and stuff like that. Yeah. And another one who's always stayed true and somehow managed to be right in the middle of the industry and spend millions and millions and millions and millions and millions on his games is Miyazaki. Um. Uh, Elden Ring uh, yeah. was I finished it uh, about two months ago and I'm still sort of shattered yeah. <laughs> from the experience yeah um, his games and it's a shame because his games are renowned for being difficult and yet I think whenever difficulty comes up with regards to his games I think people miss totally what's the best thing about the games and that is the way he tells his stories through his systems yeah. you feel you feel that story in your fingers. Yes. That the terror when you wander into a boss accidentally—that's the story you're feeling. The fe- the story is never. It's not an A to B. It's this. It's not a. It's not a, a linear thing. It no. is a. It is a feeling, and this is why I never get this. I I I can't, I can't sign up to this idea that oh. I mean, Dara O'Brien did a very famous comedy sketch. I don't know if you know where video games are, are pathetic because you wouldn't <laughs> read a book where, and then you get to the end of chapter two and it says, well, you, you sorry, you can't get past this bit. No, <laughs> Sorry, you, it's you too did, difficult for you. you yeah, exactly. you, you, you missed that semicolon yeah. in that, or the, the subtext in yeah, that sentence. Yeah. So yeah. You, know, you have to read it again. Off you go. And it's a very, it's a very funny routine. And yes. I, I laughed my socks off when I saw it, but it's not true. Oh, no. <laughs> I, a video game, the story being told in a video game, for me, and and I think it, I hope for many as well, is it's it's almost all the time. You're almost feeling it all the time. Like for me, the word story. I'm one of these sort of insufferable people who use the word story far too much. But for me, the Rubik's cube is a story, and I'm being told a story as I'm trying to fix solve it. The the a game of chess is a story. And, 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 you know, you can see how people, you know, grandmasters and world champions, they live, you know, for when they say chess is life, they're not just being silly. For them, it's their life. And you can see how that story, they're just totally en- engrossed by that. For me, when you pick up uh, one of Miyazaki's games, you're being told that story. And even if you can't get past the first hour and you're banging your head over and over again, you're and you're you're having that story and there's nothing much waiting for you on the other side if you do get past it i mean there's there's quite a few miyazaki games where i've given up halfway through because i've done the story i've felt it and i've enjoyed it and and i've you know walked away thoroughly beat up and and that's okay i've never felt like i've missed out on anything just because i didn't get to see you know it's not a linear thing it's mm. it's what you're feeling in your fingers it it, it really 
it is. But we've got this thing in video games now, like where how 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 many hours does it you know oh, does it yeah. does it provide? Oh, it's a hundred hours. Well, yeah. well, this one's two hundred hours. Is it? Yeah. Is it really? I mean, what's chess? I can finish a game of chess in five minutes. Is that? Is that what? But then there's people who, who live their life by chess. So what's chess? What's a Rubik's cube? What's you know? So. I don't think, but like I said, I mean, I, mean I, I, I rant about this stuff, but it's just teething problems. We'll get there in the end. We'll understand it one day. We just don't understand a no. thing right now. I think it was, is it William Goldman, the Hollywood screenwriter in the 70s, who said nobody knows anything. And that was his sort of whole Hollywood summed up in the 70s. Nobody knows anything. And I think, I think we're about 100 years away from our most famous screenwriter in video yeah. games saying nobody knows anything. <laughs> yeah. We're about 100 years away from that boy, I think. So yeah. so we know we know we're about 100 years you know we've got 100 years of getting to knowing nothing. But uh, so but you know it's a yeah. ride it's a blast and it so on is. and so forth. But, but his games his games were uh, his Miyazaki is and the way he tells his story through his systems and he gets everybody on board so the art the, the the design i've always i've always find it fascinating that if you um at the end of a at the end of a miyazaki game when you look at the credits and you click at them all on youtube you don't have to you don't have to put yourself through all that but um there are no there are no writers listed at all um none whatsoever and i'm always fascinated when i look at video games credits to which order they put the disciplines do they put mm. them all together and if they do which ones do they put first do they put art first do they put designers first do they put management first do they put uh, <laughs> the audio people first and it's very interesting when i look at different games like take um take any miyazaki game yeah. and then look at the credits to a gta game and and compare and contrast as yeah, they say yeah. in, in your english thing is whenever whenever mm-hmm. i think of credits i do love that meme of jurassic park there's a chap called phil who's apparently managing the dinosaurs and one just says <laughs> got one job phil you had velociraptors in the kitchen, Phil. Oh, I love I love Jurassic Park because no everybody misses the main thrust of the story. The main thrust of the story is you really need to pay your programmers better. Yeah, because <laughs> because if that you know if that guy hadn't snuck off for more money with his yeah yeah you know, yeah things, it would yeah. none of that would have happened. Yeah, and also yeah. if he'd have written a, a competent security system, I mean yeah you know maybe not use Unix as well. Yeah. <laughs> No comment. <laughs> <laughs> so, last question of the first half. We made it, Phil. Here we are. Okay. Speaking of things that, you know, you like to distract yourself with, kind of-ish, what are you playing right now? Ah, right. Okay. So, um, before I get waffly, uh, the yeah. literal answers are, so I'm, I'm about halfway through Sniper Elite 5. Okay. Um, which is a blast. I mean, it, it, it's, it's very good. Uh, mm-hmm. If I was being disrespectful, I'd call it, call it a, a murder simulator. Bit, um, yeah, if, yeah. if, if I was uh, being respectful, I'd call it a really fun murder simulator. Yeah. Um, it obviously throws up, I mean, you know, me using those terms throws up uh, a lot of questions about video games and mm, what yeah. on earth are we doing? Because now we can get them so real that, well, actually it is, you know, it's, yeah. it, it's, uh, so is it any more, is it any more, immoral than space invaders was i uh, so we have to attribute morality Pong. between what we're doing and, you know poor yeah. ball poor ball yeah. you know they didn't ask me you batted around like that sorry yeah exactly <laughs> so so again teething problems with the industry yeah. we'll get there, yeah, we'll get um, there. 
So, uh, and I'm playing, a, after I finished Elden Ring, I needed some sort of comfort food mm. video games wise. And I do play games with my kids a lot. And me and my youngest son, we're playing Minecraft Dungeons. And it's, uh, it's a lovely game. It's a lovely co-op game as well. And it's these wonderful set of systems. And a part of me really doesn't, a part of me, well, I can't say this because it was the reason I got into it because it was called Minecraft Dungeons, but a part of me uh, feels bad that it's attached itself to Minecraft because if it was in itself, it's actually, I think a lot of people look down on it mm. or don't even try it because because it's a Minecraft thing and, and oh, I've done Minecraft or whatever. Uh, but it's a really, really nice game and it's nothing like Minecraft whatsoever. Um, that said, when the pandemic struck, I actually got into Minecraft as well. I, for some reason, found great comfort in going underground and looking for diamonds and building houses for my kids who would join the worlds and then mess them up. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's not much of a metaphor, is it, for when there's a <laughs> pandemic going off outside? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so, but then, I mean, if, you know, if we go back to the game, I keep going back to that flashing cursor when you turn your computer on. Uh, the, the, when I was, when I used to, when I used to, a long time ago, when, when people used to put me in charge of interviewing programmers, they would, I would often sometimes ask a budding programmer who wanted a games programming job. I'd always say, "What, what do you think's more important? You know, what what do you enjoy more? Do you enjoy playing games more or making them, or programming them?" And I used to think it was such a clever question because you know it's like a catch twenty two. You know, it's like you you've come for a programming job, but it's about video games. I, you know, put the programmer on the poor programmer on the spot and say, oh, "I don't know what to you know, didn't know which one to value more." And I used to think this was a really clever question. It's not at all. In fact, it's a really stupid question because I keep going back to this flashing curse. And for me, m- making the game is the game. To make a game, I have to boot up someone else's software, and yeah. I have to. I have to type in 10, print, fill is great, 20, go to 10. Yeah. And that's what I have to do over and over again. And and that's the game. And so when you say, what game am I playing right now? Well, I'm, you know, I'm playing Visual Studio and, <laughs> and the Unreal Editor. And, you know, I, yeah. I, I still play Cubase and write music and, yeah, yeah. and all these things. So, so, so whenever I don't play any video games i yes. still think that i'm still doing it feels the same thing this is what i'm right. saying about it. Uh, it, it it it's it feels like the same activity mm. which is why i was always surprised when i left university and people started paying me for doing what i really felt like i grew up doing i was just right. making yeah. things you know that's okay so i'd never feel like i've had a real job because <laughs> <laughs> i'm just doing the same thing again oh, fantastic so. answer and you're, and you're right the act of creation and i often found when i'm delving into coding myself and i'm typing away and you're right there's a similar kind of interaction it, it just feels the same, doesn't it? Really it really feels the I, same. Yeah. And sometimes, yeah. I mean, I mean, everybody knows the feeling, right? If you're doing some huge AAA game and it feels like work after about 30, oh, 40 yes. hours, right? Yeah. And it's like, I've got to tick this box and I've got to tick that box. And, the, yeah. and you know, sometimes it's good. I mean, yeah. the, the uh, like I said, Zelda or Elden Ring, something huge like that. I mean, those that was lovely work. I loved, yeah. enjoyed yeah. Playing, playing it. But, but, but there's definitely some sort of neural paths yeah neural so, roads that we're going down the same exactly same, the same, same you one know? yeah yeah border zero flash on. <laughs> exactly so um let's let's move on to the second half of the show where we're gonna delve deep into bezier
a great name. Um, but before we do that, in your own words, Phil, best of luck with this. What do you think is Bezier? Um, so Bezier is an arcade game. Mm. Um, Bezier is a transhuman story about a person who, on his 100th birthday, wants to escape the place he is in. Um, now, I keep using words like he or place she is in and stuff like mm. that. I mean, do you have a, do you have a, do you have a gender when you get, okay, so the, the story generally evolves as, as you learn, as you go along the way that a mm. uh, um, hundred years ago, you were born inside a computer and this computer was made by people to escape the sort of awful end of civilization upon, upon the surface that was kicking off. Uh, and these clever people made this computer, these programmers and injected themselves into this computer, which will now they live as a society, but it goes a bit wrong and descends into tyranny. And anyway, so you play somebody on their hundredth birthday wants to get out. And the game is your journey to trying to get out of this computer back to what i refer to as the the physical the uh the you know where you can be real again or not (laughs) so but it's an arcade game yeah yeah. (laughs) it's very easy to i do like stories where you can sort of access them on lots of different levels if you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. a story which like for instance take a story like starship troopers um or robocop or you know they're very very simple stories but as soon as you go into the satire and as soon as you go into the different levels and you realize you know uh robocop looks like he's walking on water there Mm, something's 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 being said (laughs) Uh, it's uh i do i do enjoy a story like that um where you can sort of interpret things in different ways uh, and stuff like that. And to me, an arcade game, which is on the surface, a just a simple blaster feeling, I'm feeling stuff in my fingers, um, that I, I, a lot of them, I didn't get that, those layers, even though I enjoyed them. Um, it was, uh, so I wanted to create something with layers that was an arcade game that I could, um, that, you know, have have a blast have fun you know it's not it's not shakespeare it's not you know it's not faust you don't have to get that deep but uh, at the same time if you wanted to that there is stuff being thought about mm. down there as well so and it is a twin stick shooter everyone uh and has certain mechanics on it where you you uh, have rapid fire and you like the gun heats up and stuff like that. we're gonna talk about that in a second but yeah it's uh it i i described it in an email to you i said it felt like Certainly, Geometry Wars was there. Uh, Every Extend Extra is definitely there. Not a game most people know, but it's a game. It's, it involves exploding and then more explosions. Um, uh, there are two games that immediately spring to mind that I, I thought there was a third one. I can't remember what that was, but uh, there are two ones. Kind of a mashup between those two. And it's, it was lovely. It's the, the fluidity and the speed of it is just. Really good, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the design goals right from the start was I wanted the player to feel and look like he was like they were in much more danger than they are, uh, and I think I achieved that. 
And the mm. reason, and one of the downsides of achieving that is that a lot of people see the game, whether it be on a trailer or whether it being played, yeah. and a lot of people say that looks too hard for me. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, for goodness sake. What have you done? No, it isn't. It and isn't and I'm gonna, I'll let you into a secret here. There are moments in the game, especially early on, where, and this isn't a spoiler, but you could actually just put the controller down on the table and, ev- and, and it will all go on around you and nothing will hurt you. No. But people don't realize that. No. And so uh, it's, um, I, I think I mentioned it before, but I likened, I've I've started to think of it as as like a ballet that's going on on a stage, and the player is like a stroppy toddler who's messing it all up, <laughs> um, because there are there are enemies, and I use the word weirdly enemies because there are there are enemies in the game which are actually not hostile to you until you shoot them. Yeah, uh, which of course in these games you naturally just do because you shoot everything, um, but there are also enemies who have allegiances to other enemies and if you shoot them then they'll get even more angry at you than if you shot them and there are also enemies who are enemies with other enemies and if you shoot them they will help you and all sorts of you know yeah there's a lot this is really really fun yeah and and whilst it's an arcade game and when you first start you i did want to keep some sort of connection and so you do sort of build up a level with experience and as your level increases when you go back to that first level when you insert the coin and go back to that first level there is a change depending on your level so as you level your character up you will see different things existing enemies will do different things new enemies will come in um some enemies will fall out with each other whereas previously they were friends and there's you know there's stuff going on there Mm. uh and uh, generally i mean generally the challenge gets more as well but then you'll be more capable of uh you know meeting that challenge so i did i wanted it to have some sort of replayability more than your average arcade game which is is you know is is was much more back between the years of 85 and 91 was was much more sort of simple uh maybe just as good but yeah so my first design question is this there are a lot of upgrades in Bezier. There's a whole row of them at the bottom of your screen. Very Gradius-like or Nemesis if you're of that certain age or R-type. That's another one. Um, and um, why? And also, how have you found matching though their, in- their effects with the things that are in the screen that you're interacting with? I'm not going to use the word enemies anymore, but things are sort of floating around. <laughs> I, I still do. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, okay, so you are right. There are many arcade games which took that system mm. of upgrades down at the bottom. Yeah. And I kind of it in the in the PC version in 2016. It didn't have that. It had what what was called upgrade points and you could put your points in your ship. It was a little bit world of Warcrafty in that it felt like RPG. It was like, uh, it, it didn't do this. And one of the things when I was bringing it to the switch, uh, for the second edition, which was deliberately called that because it isn't the first edition. It's not just a port. It is actually, a, you know, a, a sort of a 80% rewrite. Um, I wanted it to be much more of an arcade game. Um, I wanted it to be, I wasn't ashamed anymore of it being an arcade game. I wanted it to be, and the Switch felt so good at, to to make an arcade game on. It just felt perfect. And um, I mean, even down to the point where I put 
insert coin flashing on the screen, which I was really worried that Nintendo might um, object to that because it could, I mean, you know, it could, to somebody who doesn't know, to a child, it could, you know, make them reach for their mum's purse and, and, and put a, you know, stick a 2p coin in the console and break it. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't have, I kept think, trying to imagine of comebacks I could say to Nintendo if they, you know, objected to that. But thankfully mm. they didn't. And yeah. an insert coin flashing on the screen is just fine. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it seemed to embody the whole sort of genre that I was sort of going for. Anyway, so yeah. Um, so I wanted, I, I'm, I'm glad I moved to that system, which again has been used on many arcade games. I think I've, I think I made a list of my favorite sort of 100 arcade games. And then I kind of said, what did I like about most about these arcade games? And what can I copy? <laughs> uh, now, uh, what is it they say? If you, if you copy from sort of two or three places, it's, um, it's uh, sort of plagiarism. And if you copy from a hundred, it's research, right? <laughs> so, so I'm going to call it research. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, so, but, but yeah, I, I, it, I, I really like how it that system on the bottom is something that's going off in a different place in your brain mm. than the system of shooting things that are in, you're in immediate vicinity yes. or dealing with threats in vicinity. And so it's that sort of, it's that tug of war, the balance between the two. It's a similar thing. Like you said, you have a, you have what's called an auto aim where it feels like cheating, where if you press something, it will just shoot the nearest enemy. And it, in theory, it, you could just play the whole game like that, but it overheats if you yeah. use it too much. So you've got your general twin stick mechanic of mm. moving the second stick around and and shooting in a certain direction but you've also got this sort of get out of jail card that you can constantly sort of flick between the two where you're shooting stuff and getting everything at your immediate vicinity out the way mm. and so the game becomes sort of a balance between flicking between those two mechanics and also thinking about where that sort of cursor is on the bottom with regards to your next upgrade and managing the two systems simultaneously mm. if you know what i mean now yeah. what was the second part of your question was how do these things interact yeah how does as each upgrades how have you found the they if, if they, they how they sort of balanced against them if at all there is balance against them. There is a lot of there is two sort of major forces that are that are riding in the game um and that is I don't want to call it good and evil, and I don't want to call it sort of maybe aggressive and defensive. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but in the bottom corner, as you progress through the game, you have a kind of outrun triangle that spans out from your first zone. Mm. And you get to choose left and right at the end of each zone, just like outrun, another research <laughs> node. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, you... and And so the more left you go the more defensive and sort of, what's the word? The, the more musical and mm. sort of, the colour's green, okay? <laughs> the yeah. more green it gets. Yeah. And, and the more right you go, mm. the more dissonant the music will become. Yeah. Because each, each zone has its own soundtrack um the more dissonant it gets the more aggressive it gets the more um blue it gets yeah. so so now the the game offers two distinct sort of things which happen they're not twists really but they are very defining moments and if you go all the way to the right you'll meet one of them and 
the properties I've just described, you can probably imagine that it's probably something that's not, you know, it's something very uh, sort of uh, chaotic. Mm. Uh, and if you go over to the left, it's much more maybe... See, this is why I'm a video games developer. I can't think of words. I'd, I'd be a, I'd be an author. It's it's more more maybe more transcendent, right? And maybe a bit more ni- nice. Again, good and evil. I'm not going to use those uh. words, but but it's it's strange because it we got to this point where the the uh, Andy, the guy who was, who was helping me test constantly and helping to get me through it um, when I was putting it on the switch, uh, we talked about that far right level, uh, that that far right zone, and. And he said, I don't, I don't play it. I don't, I mean, I've played it, but I don't go there. I don't want to go there. And it's funny because I knew exactly what he meant. And it's very interesting how, um, I don't know, in video games, how we get over this sort of, I don't know if hump's the right word, how we get over this thing like, how do we tell a story where the player or where something awful happens and maybe the player's responsible for it because a video games seem to be not stuck in a rut, but they seem to be in this. They've 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 sort of paved a very deep groove in the hero story and and basically telling the player. I mean, yeah. generally speaking, ninety nine percent of all games, right, are there's some trouble, but you might just be the one that fixes everything. <laughs> yeah, it fixes everything. Yeah. yeah, come on, boy, let's go for this hundred hour walk. And you grow into this mighty titan, and yeah. aren't you amazing? Yeah. And stuff like that. It's one of the reasons I like Miyazaki's games, is because he doesn't do that. Even though he takes you on a big journey, work. I've never felt like a hero at the end of one no, of his games. Almost, you're always partly the villain. It, well, yeah. everything he does that thing where the the you know most games have have like a lovely safe space that you keep coming back to. And Miyazaki does this thing towards the end of his games where he sets fire to it. You know, he he trashes the whole place, and it's your fault. And it really is. And and then somehow it's anyway. The point is, is that video games, I think, have this big challenge ahead of them. Like how you know how could a video game tell the story of Michael Corleone and The Godfather? You know that sort of because it would it would feel natural that you would put the player in in as the role of Michael Corleone as you know as the villain, um, but how can you how can you how can you tell that story because it 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 doesn't feel nice and it feels even worse when you paint it onto a player because the player doesn't have the player should have the choices not to do that but then mm-hmm. if the player has the choices not to do that then you're not telling a story <laughs> so it it. it it's again, again. It's it's like it, we're talking about the language of a story painted onto a video game, and that's why I re- I keep coming back to a video game should tell its story through its systems, which yeah. I, I try to really, really try hard with this, and to do that. But at the same time, there are again, like I said, there are these two things where if you go over to the far right and if you go over to the far left, there there are some things, there's certain events which happen um, that. Very defining and stuff. And oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't want to don't... delve into that content yeah. too much because you're right, it could spoil it a little bit, but it's it's a wonderful. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. And <laughs> that's my first question was the idea of really teasing it out of how you've 
yes, you've got all these upgrades that can end up Darius-like. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that game, where you just come all-powerful, you just steamroll through everything, and then you get killed, and then all those powers go away, and you're <laughs> rubbish again. Uh, that, uh, um, But it's it's not quite the same with, with, with Bezier at all, but I just love the fact that the enemies do change, do alter, and uh, the, yeah, very, very clever stuff. But... I want to ask the second question. It's really about the gems. Because the gems are fascinating in that you kill things, some of them drop gems, and they change your ship. And they change it in subtle ways. The oomph meter, that's nice. And uh, the, the speed. Could you talk us through how they come about? Yeah, I mean, so we again, you have these two forces in play. Um, mm. your, your ouch which is essentially your health level. Um, your ouch is, well, when it goes down, you say ouch. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, it's green. Yeah. It's on the left of your score. <laughs> and um, then you have your umph, mm. which is basically like an, an energy level maybe. Uh, I'm not going to call it an aggression level, but as you shoot things, uh, your umph will go up and your umph is on the right and that is blue. Mm. Uh, now, as your umph goes up, um, your ship becomes much more sort of pumped up. And so you have this mechanic, this system at play, where you, if you keep your umph high, you can be a lot more powerful. Your speed goes up, your um, the rate your your standard blaster goes up, everything, everything about you gets stronger. Um, the score now your umph ranges from zero to a hundred and at every 10 your score will go up a multiplier so if you're if you can keep it at 100 you're scoring 10 times the points that you are now these games naturally have a score chasing element to them mm. uh, with the online score tables and things like that um and so so score matters a lot there are lots of things that can cause multipliers um there are things uh, like i said to do with story events you can do or not do and you can boost multipliers that way too uh, so there's lots of different ways lots of different paths to get lots of different scores uh, when i looked at the score i've not looked at it in years but when i looked at when i did the score the, the sort of the equation that adds up the score um, i think there is something like 15 or 16 different things you can do to make you score more right. uh, things like the closer you are to an enemy the more you will score. If you shoot an enemy further away, you'll score less. Mm. So that naturally makes your fingers say, "Well, I'll, 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 I'll vanquish them closer up." Uh, but that comes with risk because yeah. if you get hit, if you get hit, your hump halves <laughs> every time. Every time you get hit, right. so there is obviously two again two forces at play here. Mm. And so, but the balancing of umph and stuff and then when you shoot things yes you the, the gems come out and you can boost your ump by collecting gems uh these little gems and things and they have a little gravity pull to them um and yeah uh, so so yeah it's, it's it's kind of the two you've got that sort of score up you've got that upgrade mechanic at the bottom with the with the big stars that you collect but you've also got this sort of ouch and ump sort of balance I'm, between the two i do i get that you're you're, you're thinking your I'll give you the word philosophy that's not the right word um, approach way better word and that you love people playing games and having different thought processes while they're doing so 
you know, because yes. you're approaching the collection of gems in a completely different way than when you're shooting at things. And you're approaching risk-reward about, well, I need to get to that thing, but I'm going to get hit. I don't want to get hit because then my points are going to go down, and that's bad. Uh, yeah. and, and it's just, you're right. You're absolutely right. And, you know, I'm no big yeah. fan of chess because it's just two patterns smashing against each other. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, and whoever's got the best pattern is going to win. What? Um, but, uh, no, I, I, then that's really illustrative of that approach. There's that. There's that word. I'm going to stick to it. So, which then leads me on to my next question. It's almost as if I designed it that way. But um, I want to talk about the health pickups because they are okay. an absolute godsend. Wonderful idea. Because yep. there are times when you they do appear just when you need them, <laughs> uh, and it's like, oh, it's almost as if it's you know. But I'm not sure if it's reacting to my state of health or my condition. I don't know how dynamic it is, but. They are locked behind little shields. So you do have to, you know, earn them. You can't just swoop in and pick them up. Well, you can, but you get hit if you do that. You, you get hurt. And they're generally swarming with things <laughs> around them. Not always, but sometimes. Um, how, take us through the design of them. Is it something that's always bedded in there? Is it? I, mean, it's, I think there's, there's a story to be told, I think. Behind there is. Yeah. So, so there's um, each zone takes its lead. So, yeah, so each zone takes its lead from a different story. Um, now, you don't need to know this, but the characters that come in and out of you are following, roughly speaking, this story which is why I was saying I feel like each zone is like a, a play being carried out on stage and the player is a stroppy toddler who's messing it all up uh, because that play will happen whether or not you're doing anything. And like I said, a lot of the time, the characters who are coming in and out of the screen, um, some of them are hostile to you and some of them are not. Um, now, the shields are sort of the the sort of barriers to get to the next zone and each shield comes with it a I'm, puzzle is the wrong word um, but each it, there's a little challenge to overcome now I when I first did it when I first come about these things I would put I would I, they would be much more tougher puzzles but I found that trying to concentrate on twin stick sort of flow and trying to think of something how do i get past this sort of locked barrier was just too impossible it was too hard so it it, it, had, it had to be simplified down to something that was much simpler and even the most complicated one now is not really that complicated and you can get through them but it's all to do with so each zone has got a different shield to try and get through the first one is very very simple you just sort of shoot it although actually when you go up in level shields get a lot more angry at you they start firing all sorts of stuff at you uh and some of it's homing and some of it's just lightning bolts and things like that but, but you'll be much higher level by that point you probably would have completed the game several times but but still have places you've not seen because you've not done the mm. i should stop calling it an outrun triangle because i'll have them i'll have cease yeah, and desist Sager. letters yeah, right yeah. <laughs> say we'll have a knock on the door Could you, i've made you no stop? i I honestly, I made no money. You can't get anything from me. <laughs> so, but anyway, but no. Um, so there's there's other play, there's other zones you've seen. Once you've played played the game, I think you've probably I think the I, I track a percentage of how much you've done, and I think you've done something like 
sort of 12% when you first played through it. Uh, so, yeah, you know, it's there's a lot to see, especially as you go up in, in higher levels as well. But, yeah, each one of these things is is sort of central to the the play that's being carried out on the stage of each mm. zone. And I may have said too much there or whatever. I just, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's thought about, thought about no, way no. too much. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> so, that's, uh... so last question. Here it is. I know all good things must come to an end, but here we are. At least I think it's a good thing. The boss. This is boss. Yeah. Because he's, he's, I mean, in the, in the, uh, instructions because these days because i'm a certain age i do actually read game instructions now i read them all because um they're important you get way more out of a game when you actually read up exactly how to play it trust really do really do and really appreciate the fact that they exist but um he terrorizes you he just appears and taunts you and he goes chasing you across the level but eventually you can take him out towards the end well, at the end, when he becomes weakened because you've been so good at uh, at uh, undermining and chipping away at him by shutting down his shields and what have you. Why? What, what made you think that it was okay to <laughs> to have this? He is a jerk. I mean, he is an absolute jerk. He's got he's got issues. He needs a hug, you know, or they, you know. But uh, to tell us about him. Where did he come from? Why? Why do you? Why do you taunt the player like this? Um, okay, so it's to do with feelings, and and one of the four, one 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 of the strong feelings I got in in an arcade growing up was uh, there was an arcade my dad was playing, and I was on the other side of the room, and there was this voice screaming out of the arcade machine at him, and it was just like, what on earth is that? And I went over to it, and it was a game called Sinistar. And in Sinistar, you have this thing, <laughs> and it's not always there. But when it's coming for you, 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 you were scared. And mm. it was the first time I'd ever heard an arcade a speech coming mm. out of an arcade machine. And yeah, so I thought, well, yeah, let's copy that as well. So let's <laughs> let's get that vibe feeling in it. Yeah. Um, um, so, so I thought. Now he's he's obviously as well. I mean, the the lines that he says they come from two different sources: one, a puerile playground humour, mm. and two, lines that were said by Gordon Brown between two thousand and seven <laughs> and two thousand and nine when he was prime minister. <laughs> uh, so feel my clunking fist was straight from Gordon Brown, and and uh, other ones was, were playground insults and stuff like that so he's got this sort of again he's got two forces inside him which are these two forces which are pulling him apart but at the same time he's not very friendly and at the same time he's you know you're trying to escape his realm his kingdom so you know he, he he's not he's not i keep saying he for a bunch of pixels I, <laughs> although it was um it was a, a very nice uh history teacher uh who did the voice for him and the 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 bellowing out i think we got complaints from neighbors uh, several <laughs> times during that day but he would stand at the edge of the bed and and we were there uh, me and my friend with a tape recorder trying to trying to record all these things and uh, often we'd just like ask him to improvise and he would come out with the most absurd lines uh <laughs> and and things like that uh 
I have them all somewhere. Um, so yeah, um, yeah. So it it um, yeah. I mean, he's a wrong one. He's he's he's, he's a wrong one, isn't he? Yeah. He's uh, yeah. He's, <laughs> but he's, it's really uh, about capturing that feeling of terror uh, and not terror, but anxiety, and but only in the context of the game. Just to be clear. Uh, no one wants to actually voluntarily, voluntarily, voluntarily uh, feel terror like that, unless they're, they're watching The Shining. There you go. Got back to that. Uh, well, but... that was one big, one big, huge influence that was. Yeah, <laughs> in, yeah. In I was my... expecting some twins to appear in the corridor, but that didn't, that didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no. So Bessier then. Uh, I've got it on Steam here. It says it's developed by Nine Games. Is that true, or is it just yourself? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, the original plan is to do Nine Games and then die. But I've, oh, I think right. I've, I think I've, I think I've figured it out. At this rate, I need. I'll be finishing around 130. Yeah. So I've either got to get a move on, or <laughs> <laughs> or it's, it's going to be less than nine. But I've plenty. I have lots and lots of games on the go. I mean, mm. any develop, developer will tell you. For every one game that gets released, they must have had. You know, they must have tried a hundred right, at least. Right. Um, so, so you know, the, the the musical is 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 there and happening. I've I have this wonderful game. I've only prototyped it to do with um, time travel uh, and and time traveling games done a hell of a lot because you know you've got control of the world. But but I think it's quite an interesting take compared to the established ones because I mean, if you're talking time travel, especially time manipulation, I mean, I think there's not much which Braid didn't do, and Braid did it very, very well. It did, um, didn't it? Uh, yeah. But 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 I'm not talking about manipulation. I'm talking about um, um, uh, experiencing time again, uh, which I know uh, Outer Wilds, right? <laughs> uh, and it's all been done a lot before, but this is much more um, a thing about. I was always interested by the question, you know, when people say, you know, if you could go back to when you were young, what would you tell yourself? And I always, I always find it a bit insulting. Like, like you, you automatically expect that you're better now than when you're 16. No, it's like, what? No, that might might not be the case. I'd I'd, I'd actually like to go back to when I was 16 and ask for some advice. (laughs) Because I think I was fairly twitched on when I was sixteen, and right. and so on and so forth. But anyway, so the so the idea is 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 if you could go back and forth, how would you help the other person? Because they are two different people, and so the idea in a game would be would 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 be that I recognise that I'm going to come here in a future time frame. How can I help myself now? So when I come back. I will see myself helping myself and I can do that. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that, that t- So it's not time manipulation. It's time sort of processing. And this all comes back to the, I remember reading a quote from an author and I can't remember where it was. I've not read the book, but I think he said, the only way out of the labyrinth of suffering is forgiveness. And that just blew my mind because it was like, mm. oh, blimey. Okay. So you're not just talking about, forgiving other people to get no. out of suffering but you're talking about forgiving yourself forgiving to get yourself. out of suffering yeah and how would that translate to a game mechanic <laughs> and, I, and and i find that stuff so interesting yeah it, 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 it's anyway so that's that's yeah. coming out around 2050 <laughs> yeah i'm not sure if into the breach delves into that a little bit you might want to look into into the breach um, right yes but, yes uh, ftl but people who made ftl they did into the breach 
I think there is a little bit of that in there. But uh, I haven't played it myself. I need to. It's one of my piles of shame. Um, but um, so, yeah, uh, Bezier, what, what platforms is it available on? I think we've sort of danced around so a bit. But. There was a first edition on, on, on Steam, um, right. which is 2016. It's a very different game to mm. the 2020 Switch version. The Switch version is the one, it, it's the arcade. It's the yeah. arcade game. It's the one, yeah. it, it's, so, it's so at home on the Switch. It's it just makes sense on the switch it's it does. just everything and i was i was one of the reasons i wanted to do it was also i mean video games developers we have a huge problem with preservation in that we'd we put a lot you know we, it'd be nice if in 50 years time our stories were still around to be told i mean yeah. if you go 50 years ago i mean there are films from the 50s and 60s around right so mm. you know it, and it's very disheartening for a game developer to see systems where games can just die away and die out and i figured if i if i if i could put this on the switch then um maybe in 20 years time it'll just be a part of one huge torrent of of, of every switch rom <laughs> and it won't go away and it yeah, won't die you're right because nintendo uh, and, is a you know notorious for that well uh, i, I yeah. mean the only way the only way most people play you know arcade games from the 80, 1984 is in a big huge main torrent isn't it um, yes and you know the um the rights and wrong, wrongs of that aside, sometimes it's the only way we can play those games. <laughs> uh, so I think I can't remember. It was oh, I think it was Mark Commode who says the that piracy is a distribution. No, sorry, pi- piracy is a customer solution to a distribution problem. problem. <laughs> and and it's of course you don't. Nobody wants anybody stealing money from them. And and, and no. obviously I've, I've I've you know. But at the same time, it really rang true. And the number of times I've tried to get hold of something and I can't get hold of it. And it's like, I've got some money here. Does yeah. anybody want to sell me Does access to that? Yeah. And yeah. and I can't get any. And, and oh, so, but, you yeah. know, you can you can go online and be naughty and just get it in yeah. seconds. And it's just like, well, this is a failure on some part. Yeah, for me, <laughs> it's know? like the people, there's a huge community of Japanese RPG fans who want to play them, but they want to play them in English. Right. So they just yeah. have this whole team of people or volunteers who just go in there and translate the game and put it out. Not officially. Yeah. You know, it's just not yeah. official. But no, we, okay, you want to experience this game, but you want to experience it in a language you're familiar with. Here's this yeah. hacked version. Knock yourself out. And it's just like, well, this is not legal. No. Yeah. no, no well, no, well, just to be clear, I would never advocate, you know, be, naughty people doing naughty things i remember in the late 90s uh, when i worked at gremlin there was these people on the sheffield market every weekend and they had trays (laughs) trays full of um playstation one discs and stuff like that and it used to really get my goat and i always used to tell the police i'd the you know back when police used to patrol the streets i'd always sort of find one in the shopping centers and say yeah can you sort and they knew they were there anyway. They yeah. and they always ran off as soon as they turned the corner. And yeah, but well, you know, what are you going to do? But um, yeah, Phil, it's been wonderful heavy on the show. Really, what thank you for story? having me. It's yeah. been a pleasure. So. The, the stories. I mean, that's what I'm going to almost subtitle the show episode: stories. Because <laughs> it's you're right. I just never really thought about it like this, and it's really been enlightening. And uh, you're more than welcome to come back. To talk about whatever next is cooking in your thank brain. Thank you, thank you. Well, I, I uh, Bezier on the switch actually got me a uh, a job interview, and I'm back in the industry now. So, there you go. so <laughs> the one I said I'd never get back to now. I work for a, a company called uh, Ripstone up in Liverpool. Mm. Uh, a 
bunch of lovely guys. Uh, right. also, it's kind of a nice balance of old timers and fresh young faces. Mm. So we kind of know where the icebergs are, but at the same time, the, the young uns are, you know, yeah, showing showing us up with some of their talents as well. So yeah. yes, yes, I think I'm pretty sure I'm not breaking an NDA. I think we we had the, the the Queen's Gambit is is the game we're working on. Okay. Uh, so uh, yeah, so uh, all right. Well, like I said, love to have you back on. But in the meantime, thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome, Chris. Thank you for having me. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website, caneandrinse.com. <laughs>